Good morning. It really is great to be here with you uh, this morning. My wife and uh, our son, who I'm hoping is going to continue to sleep through the service, we'll see. Um, last time I taught in front of a, people from the scriptures, he decided he wanted to have a meltdown. So um, <laughs> we'll see what that means for the future. Uh, but um, uh, it really is great to, to be here with you this morning. Uh, I love talking with your pastor. I don't know Justin real well, but I've gotten to, to speak with him some recently. And um, I love his heart. I love uh, just the, the fact that you have a faithful pastor who loves the Word of God and, and loves to, to share it with people. Uh, it, it's really encouraging to me, and, and it is great being here with you this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 55, uh, we are going to be there. Isaiah... Um, is an interesting book because for me, for most of my life, it has been incredibly intimidating. Uh, honestly, still, it is a little bit intimidating to me to read uh, even now. It is really old, really big, and very confusing. Um, and, and sometimes when I read the Old Testament, it seems like uh, it, it really has just been covered and um, hidden away and, and just does not make any sense. How does this apply for us today? Um, and, and there are passages in the Old Testament where I will be honest with you, sometimes I still, as I'm reading this, I go, Lord, I don't know exactly what you mean by this. I'm not sure how this part made it into the Bible. I know you say it's good and it's inspired, but, but this is really confusing. Uh, I know you guys are going through Judges right now, and that's a rough book. You know, that's a, that is a rough book. It gets kind of dark in there. And uh, this passage in Isaiah, though, is kind of a, 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 a ray of sunlight in the middle of a really confusing book. And, and I'll tell you that I think this passage in Isaiah applies for us directly, almost word for word. I mean, it, it could just be pulled straight out and handed to the church today. And so what we're going to look at today in Isaiah, uh, kind of I think that the point of this passage is showing us that what God is doing in the church today, he is always doing for the nations. And that is great news for us. What God is doing in the church, he's also doing for the nations, which is fantastic if you're not Jewish, right? If you are not Jewish, that means you are one of the nations. I am descended from Northern European white people with sunburns. You know, we, we are not Jewish. I don't have anything Jewish in my background, but this passage right here, the good news of Jesus Christ is for all of us, no matter what our background is. And so we're going to look here in Isaiah 55. At two things specifically. First, I want us to look at what is God doing in the church? Specifically, what is God inviting the church into? We're going to look at two invitations that I think he offers out to us. And then second, we're going to look at what does this mean for what he wants to do for the nations? So let's start here in verse 1 of Isaiah 55. We're going to try to make it through the whole passage today. It's a good thing there's a clock there because there's a lot here. Um, and my wife will tell you sometimes I talk too much. Justin told me you have till 1.30 though, is that correct? Okay. Right. So I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Uh, starting in verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. This first section we're going to look at here, I believe, is what we will call an invitation to fullness. God here is offering people fullness of life. Did you even just hear the language here? Come to me. Come to the waters. 
Come. There are 12 different inviting words in these two and a half verses. That's pretty unbelievable. 12 different times. It is maybe as far as I can tell in the entire scriptures. I don't know of another passage where God has asking people, inviting people to come to him like he is here. And notice here that this is not just, um, it's not a commandment as in like, uh, you know, stop doing that. It's not, a, it's not a, a burdensome commandment. He's saying, come to me. I- I'm offering you things. There's some debate about what exactly the image is here. Some people say this is a Middle Eastern water cellar, which a water cellar just sounds kind of like a, a, a weird thing. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I think it's more of an invitation to a banquet. That's what it sounds like is going on here to me, that God is inviting people to come to a banquet. And, and listen to who he specifically is inviting. Did you see this that he says, without money and without cost? At first, it, it almost sounds like he is speaking to the poor and saying, I, I've set a table before you. If you'll come to me, you who have no money, come, come to me and I'll feed you. But as we go... It's interesting because he says um, here, here in uh, verse 2, why do you spend money for what is not bread? So the people he's speaking to actually do have money. It isn't that they are the homeless here that he's inviting. These are people with money. He says, and your wages for what does not satisfy. So what we have here is God inviting people to his table, people who already have money but are not spending it on that which is going to satisfy them. Do you know that that is what our world is made up of today? People who are looking for satisfaction everywhere except in God. And what God is saying to us today is that only he will satisfy. Only he will satisfy. This is spoken to Israelites 2,700 years ago. And I think that maybe today it's even more applicable. I mean, think about, think about the way uh, Americans look at technology. Most of us probably have cell phones, or you know somebody with cell phones, right? Technology's everywhere, computers. We've even got a screen up behind me. Um, how fast does technology change? You know, think, think about what was great technology five years ago, and now that stuff is in trash heaps, you know? Technology is always, always changing, and we look to technology for so much. Um, I even think of some commercials recently. There were, it was kind of that PC Mac. Did you see those commercials with um, two guys? One of them was kind of the, uh, you know, he was dressed in a suit. He, he was the working man. And then you had like the cool guy. And I'm a PC or I'm a, I'm a Mac. And, and there's almost this cinch in which our culture looks to technology for our identity. That what you consume defines who you are. That the money you have, that the clothing you wear, that the people you're around, that those things are what define you. And that we look for satisfaction there. But ultimately what God is saying is that those will never satisfy you. That you can spend all the money you want on the, the newest gadgets and the greatest cars. And you can, you can have the most lavish vacations you can possibly imagine. And it will never satisfy you. We were recently in uh, Toronto, Ontario, um, visiting some friends up there. We were considering po- potentially doing some mission work de- there in the future. And we, we visited a, a place called the Eaton Center, which was basically kind of this uh, huge, huge mall. It's like five stories and open air, really kind of an amazing building to walk in. And as we were looking around, one thing really stood out to me, and it was about a four-story tall commercial on the side of a wall, one banner with just one image, and it was, you know, a, a, an attractive woman with brightly colored pants. And beneath it, it said, we want to have a relationship with you. And I was just looking at that thinking, really? You sell pants? I mean, 
the only relationship I want with my pants is, you know, to wear them. They, they need to keep me clothed. I'm glad if you have a relationship with your pants, but, but I don't really, I'm not looking for satisfaction in my pants. You know, I don't want to call the pants sellers on a regular basis. The only time I want to visit them is if my pants wear out. And hopefully that's going to be months from now, you know, but, but at the same time, it's this image of, of a woman. Look, you can be like this. You know, you too could have brightly colored pants and friends. It's almost just this, this, Look, satisfaction awaits you. Come buy our pants. And, and that's the way our world works. You know, it's kind of goofy when we think about it that way, but, but always. And that's the human condition, right? For hundreds and hundreds of years. In Isaiah's day, 700 B.C., 800 B.C., they were looking for the same thing. They were looking for satisfaction, and none of it was satisfying them. And God is saying to us, he says to us today, just as he said in Isaiah's day, the only place you will find satisfaction is in him. The only place that there's real fullness of life is in him. And, and I think it's interesting, too, that he doesn't just say, if you're thirsty, come to me and get some water. He starts there. He says, if you're thirsty, I'll provide for your needs. He says, but also come to me and I'll give you milk. Right? That's sustenance. Then he says, we'll, we'll give you wine, which was a party drink back in this day. I don't know if it's a one-to-one correlation with what we have today, but, but he's saying to them, it isn't just an offer for you know, you have needs, come get them here. It's not like an MRI or an, is that what the MRE, the, the, uh, the, you know, the government MRI, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, uh, the food, you know, packaged dried food when everything goes terribly. It's not food. It's plastic that they have packaged and told you it's food, you know, that, that kind of stuff. That, that'll meet your needs. It will, it will fill you up. You'll be full, but you're not going to enjoy it. No, no, no. He says, it's actually interesting. He says, delight yourself in abundance, the image there is, is when you kind of look at the original language, it's, it's, um, it's almost like a steak. It's fatness. He's saying, come to me. Right now, you're looking for water. He says, I'm offering you a banquet. It's so much better than anything you can possibly find. That's not even satisfying you. And if you come to me, you'll be ultimately satisfied. That is the invitation that God has offered us. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings and why we sing songs, right? We're reminding one another that ultimately, even though we go throughout our week and we hear messages of, of people calling out, come give us your money and I will satisfy you. We come here on Sunday mornings, we sing songs and remind one another that only satisfaction will ever come is going to be ultimately in God. First, there's an invitation to fullness. Second, we're actually going to jump down to verse 6. We're going to come back to, to kind of the back half of verse 3 through 5. But it's a really interesting, kind of a weird chunk of scripture there. So we're going to jump over it for right now and look at a second invitation that God offers here, starting in verse 6. This is an invitation to forgiveness, which is such a good invitation. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked one forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's two interesting contrasts here. First of all, God contrasts man's thoughts and ways. Right? He says the wicked, let him forsake his ways. And, and then he contrasts those to God's thoughts and ways. God is saying that my thoughts and my ways are so much higher than yours and that is why you need forgiveness, right? The standard is his thoughts. The standard is his way. I don't know your thoughts, but I know this about them. They're not God's thoughts. <laughs> we were just talking in Sunday school that, that if you were ever a know-it-all, you would actually, oh yeah, 
Dad gets to preaching again. All right, time to cry. If you ever were to know it all, you would have to be God, right? And he is saying here that, no, no, man, you are not God. Your thoughts are actually wicked. Do you know that? Even, even the, uh, the best of us, even the best of us don't have pure motivations. Even the best of us, we still, uh, we, don't, we haven't kept God's law completely, right? And God says in the midst of that, you need forgiveness. Do you, do you realize that? Each of us needs forgiveness. Earlier this week, uh, I just, I love my wife, and she had been serving me all day. And I got frustrated with something that I was working on, and I snapped at her at dinner. And she said, you know, she just said, what were you thinking? Why would you do that? And the reality was, I don't know, I had to repent. Because I am a wicked man. And despite the fact that I love the Lord and that I try to follow him, I am in need of forgiveness constantly. Which is why God is so good. He is offering it to us freely if we'll just come to him. I also think it's interesting here that the contrast between man and God. It's, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. So it's this picture of God's being near. But at the same time, he says, let the, the wicked forsake his way. And let him return to the Lord in verse 7. You almost have this picture of like, that God's always near, right? He's there. He's waiting. The ones who wandered away are us. We're the ones who leave him. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story of uh, what we typically call the prodigal son. It's a man. He has two sons. One stays at home with the wines. The other one leaves his dad, um, takes all of his inheritance, and, and goes, squanders it. Right? It just says he squanders it. And he comes to a point where he realizes that none of this is worth it. He's eating out of the, the pig's food, and he thinks to himself, my father has so much more. I, I might as well just return to him. And then he goes on a long journey back. And this is a similar passage. He's saying return to the Lord, but the interesting thing here is that it's almost like when we decide that, yes, I'm going to return to God, and we turn around to go journey back to him from where we left, he's right there waiting for us. He's a good father who's been following us. Forgiveness is such good news. I don't know where everybody in this room is with Jesus. I, I don't know where you... Maybe you've been at this church for 60 years. Um, that's wonderful. Uh, maybe you've never actually trusted Christ. This is a picture of repentance. In, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus comes, and the first message that he proclaims in the book of Mark is repent and believe the gospel. So repent really means a changing of your mind that leads to a changing of your life. It's saying that my thoughts are not God's thoughts. I need to change my thoughts. He's right. I'm wrong. He says I'm wicked. I agree. And from that point, I change. I say, Lord, I need you. And I accept his invitation for forgiveness. If you've never accepted that, you could do that today. At the same time, those of us who are Christians who have been walking with Christ maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 years... We still need forgiveness, and he still offers it. Daily, he offers it. It doesn't matter how far you've gone, he offers it. Today, he offers it. Now, both of these, I said, I believe these are offered to the church. And that's, it. That, that's interesting, because this was written 2,700 years ago to Israelites, right? These, these are Jewish people, probably living in Babylon. Um, they aren't actually living in the promised land anymore. And, and I want to... Um, 
say that I do think this is for the church today. And I want to take just a minute to show you why I think that's the case. Because I think this is so important that we understand how abundance is actually offered to us, how we see fullness of life, and how we actually obtain forgiveness. So thinking here for just a minute about the context of this letter, the book of Isaiah was written to exiles. So God offered Israel a promise. And three, there's a lot of promises. We'll just kind of hit briefly on three of them. First was to a man named Abraham. Abraham, back in the day, was a a pagan. He did not worship God, and God entered into a relationship with him and said, I'm going to make your family as many as you can see the stars. I'm going to make your descendants more than there are stars. And that's an incredible promise. He said, it's going to be a promise that I am going to keep. Then then he enters in a little bit later to the same family who has been now in slavery in Egypt. And he sends Moses to him and says, I'm going to take you to a promised land. You're going to have a land. I'm going to live with you there. It's going to be your land. It's going to be an abundant land. What What a good promise again, right? And then there's another promise. A little while later, they have a king. And to David, he says, your throne will never end. You're going to rule over a kingdom and your descendants will always be on the throne. An everlasting kingdom. So a promised land, an everlasting kingdom, this family that's going to extend to the ends of the earth. Now, think about these Jews who believe this, who believe these promises that have been given to them, who saw them come into the promised land, who saw David ruling over them, and now this is but a distant memory. Those promises are no longer what they're experiencing. Enemies have come into their land. This family that was supposed to increase has been scattered. This land that they were supposed to have inhabited forever, it's no longer theirs. The Babylonians came in, they pulled them out. They sent them to the corners of the kingdom. Their kingdom, David ruling over the throne, the throne, he's not there. He's dead. His descendants, they're not on the throne. So you have to think that if you are an Israelite, you're a Jewish guy, and you're living in Babylon, hearing this message thinking, but God, you already promised that. I know what you promised, but I'm not experiencing that at all. And now God comes and makes these two offers. If you're going to experience fullness of life, if you come to me, and you're going to experience forgiveness, and I I just have to think the question would be how? How is this going to to happen? I mean, the reason that they were in exile was because they turned from God. That was the reason. And I think that it tells us right here, at the end of verse 3, Read with me. He says, And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. An interesting thing about this passage that we miss in English a little bit, just because of our... our, uh, the word you in English is just a really confusing word, isn't it? You can mean a whole lot of different things. I'm from Oklahoma, and so to, to make distinctions in Oklahoma, we would say either you or all y'all. So all y'all meant multiple people, right? And, and you meant just you individually. Now, this entire chapter is spoken to all y'all, okay? This whole, whole chapter is spoken to all y'all, except for verses 4 through 5. And that's just spoken to one man. This is so, so strange, actually, when you read through it and you go, what, what was the change? It's, it's interesting, too, when you read um, commentaries on the Bible where people, you know, with PhDs who have spent 40 years studying this stuff, they get to it. And le- legitimately, I read one and, and they read it and they went, yeah, I don't know. This, this has got to be a mistake. That, that can't be right. You know, and so they're trying to figure out who is he talking to? What's going on? 
The Apostle Paul tells us in Acts 13 that this is Jesus. He takes this passage and he quotes it and applies it directly to Jesus. See, the way abundance of life happens is through Jesus Christ, right? The way forgiveness happens is through Jesus Christ. This commandment or this uh, promise that he offered to David, he's going to give this to Jesus. The nations will come when Jesus is glorified. If you saw that here at the end of verse 5, he says, because he has glorified you, who is Jesus or who did God glorify? God glorified Jesus. Jesus led a perfect life. He had no need for forgiveness. He died on the cross for our sins. And that when God raised him up three days later and now has ultimately put him in heaven at his right hand at the ascension, he has glorified Jesus. And that's the way that fullness of life and forgiveness of sins are offered. It's through Jesus Christ. So that is the offer for the church. We're we're offered abundant life and we're offered forgiveness because of Jesus Christ. Now I said here also that... um, that this is not just for the church, but everything that God does in the church, every opportunity he offers to the church, he's offering for the nations. I want us to see that as well. It's interesting, he says here that, behold, I have made him a witness for the peoples, a leader and commander of the, of the peoples. So what, what God did with David, he's now doing with Jesus Christ. And ultimately now, that those of us who have put our faith in Christ... God has given the same ministry too. If you want to flip with me, you can. I'm, I'm going to turn over to um, John chapter 7, or, or you, can just, you can just listen. I want you to hear Jesus take up this same passage. In verse 37, it says this, Now on the last day of the great day of the feast, this is a week-long feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Does that sound familiar? He who believes in me, as the scriptures say, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's amazing, isn't it? We just read in Isaiah, where God offers fullness of life. He offers, he says, come to me and drink. But how does that happen? When, when God glorifies the Messiah. That's how it's going to happen. And here it is, Jesus standing up at the end of a feast saying, come to me and drink if you're thirsty. But it doesn't happen until he's glorified. I also think it's interesting that he did this at the end of a feast. Isn't that an interesting time? People spend a week-long party. Basically, they're just partying for a week. If there's ever a time when you're not thirsty, it's at the end of a week of partying. Okay? That is, that's the situation. And he stands up and says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Because what he's talking about here is is not just thirst, not just I need water, but rather, are you satisfied? If you're satisfied, come to him. He offers it freely. He offers it freely. I also want to point out here that back in Isaiah 55, I said this has been given to the church now, right? That, That God offers these two invitations through Jesus Christ, but that it's given to the church. In verse 3, I think this makes it pretty explicit. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. God is saying that his offer for abundant life is going to be when he makes a covenant with people. And this is another time when the commentators again go, that, that doesn't make sense. That has to be a mistake. 
Because God promised David and his family only a kingdom, right? That doesn't make any sense. Why would he then say, I'm going to put you, David, on top of a throne. I'm going to put you over a throne and your kingdom will last forever. And now he turns around and he hands this to everyone who wants it. He says, if you just come to me, I'm going to give you the same covenant. How does that happen? I think that's through us. This is through us, the church. That what God has offered in Jesus, when it, when it arrives and we receive it, when we receive that invitation, glorious invitation, that then we have been made into that same covenant as God made with Jesus. That's an unbelievable truth, isn't it? That in Christ, God sees us the same way as he sees Jesus. That in Christ, we have now been made right with God. And that now we've also been given this ministry of taking this good news to the nations. Before we leave this passage, I want to make four kind of closing points about what it looks like to be the people of God who have first received what God has offered and then take this to the nations. So four points about what this actually looks like, I think, from this passage. So first of all, I think that that when we get this, when the church receives what is offered by God, it will be a people of God who are all about Jesus. We are Jesus people. You know that? We are Jesus people. This only happens through Jesus. It only happens when Jesus is glorified. That's when we come to Christ. That's when we receive forgiveness. That's when we, that we receive the fullness that God offers. And I would have a question for you. Is your life about Jesus? Is the message of your life Jesus? Is the gospel the defining thing about the way you live your life? We are, as a church, um, now I'm not a part of this local body, but, but generally speaking, we, we stand in, um, you know, locking arms with churches like yours all over the place. We are uh, the, the church universal in a, in a lot of ways. That is, as long as we are holding up the gospel of Jesus, that we are very connected. And as churches, we have one message. It's the gospel. We just continue to tell it, right? Every week, Justin's getting up here, and he's opening up the Bible, and it doesn't matter where he's coming from, whether that's in the New Testament where it's pretty clear, or the Old Testament in Judges where it doesn't make any sense at all. He's holding up Jesus to you, right? He's saying the gospel of Jesus Christ is really our only message, that we have no hope, we have no satisfaction, we will always be enemies of God apart from the gospel of Jesus. And everybody we know needs to hear that message. Is your life about Jesus? Second, God's people are a joyful people. Listen here at uh, verse 12. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. This is an incredible image here of those who receive the invitation almost leading a parade, right? It's kind of like leading a parade through, through creation. And, you know, we're in a beautiful part of the world, by the way. Um, the mountains and, and the trees, and this is a great time of year, beautiful weather. And it's almost this image of the people of God walking forward, rejoicing in God. And as they rejoice, all of creation rejoices with them. It's really kind of an incredible picture, isn't it? God's people are a people of joy. We're people of joy. I really, one of my goals in my life is to be a part of a church that is known as the party church. You know, like the church should be people who have a reputation for throwing the greatest parties. When you look at Jesus, his ministry was defined by parties. Uh, there's a, an author who wrote a book called A Meal with Jesus who says essentially that in the book of Luke, Jesus is either leaving a party or leaving a meal with somebody, going at a meal or going to another meal. 
Uh, he just kind of eats his way through the book of Luke. And that's what his ministry was about. It was, it was enjoying people. It was being with people. It was rejoicing in God, declaring to people the goodness of God. And all of that it is exciting, right? It, it should be fun. It should be enjoyable. This is really good news. I want to be a part of a people of God who are known as the party people. I would encourage you. I mean, I don't, I don't know this area very well. Um, the, this is the longest time I think we've spent in Virginia, and the second longest time was stuck in traffic around D.C. And, and so, um, you know, we don't know the area real well. But, but is this area, our, is, is Rockfish Valley Baptist Church, are you guys the party people? You know? Are you the party people? How great would it be if you were known to throw parties the way God throws parties? I think it's not insignificant that the first thing that happens when Jesus comes back is he throws a banquet. Isn't that amazing? First thing he does is he throws a party. Jesus' first miracle, he turned water into wine at a party. Right? God's offering a banquet here in Isaiah 55. God's people are a people of joy. Third, God's people are people of the word. They love the word of God. Look in verse, uh, verse 10 here. It says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnish seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word will be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God is saying that his word actually works. You know that when Justin gets up here and opens the scriptures or when, when even when I'm... I'm I'm a student. I, you know, I don't know if they told you that or not. I, I'm not an expert in this. You know, like this is, you guys are practice. Um, but, but it's just as we open the scriptures and, and just talk about what God has said, that this is what brings people to life. Even in earlier, as you see this, he says, listen carefully to, me, carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance, that it's in hearing the word of God, that it's in hearing, it's in listening to God. That's where life comes from. That's where wisdom is. That's where life is truly found, is when we hear what God says and listen and respond. So God's people are a people of the word. I'm encouraged just knowing that that Justin opens the word every week and he walks through a passage of scripture. And that's your authority, right? That's our authority as Christians, is the word of God. Fourth, and finally, God's people are a new creation people. Listen to verse 13. Instead of the thorn bush and cypress, instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. If you remember in Genesis 3, there's this picture of sin entering the world. And when sin enters the world, all of creation breaks. Work becomes hard. Childbirth is painful. Haven't gone through it, hallelujah, but I've seen it. It's painful. Okay. It's painful. That's the effect of sin. And what God is doing here is he's saying that as the church declares Jesus to the world, it will be a picture of what the coming creation is going to be like. That as the church loves one another, as they celebrate and encourage one another, as they give, as they celebrate, as they devote themselves to the word, it is a picture to the rest of the world of what God is doing, what God has offered to them, and what one day will ultimately be when God sets everything right. That's good news. That's good news. I hope today, if you have not received the invitation that God has offered, that you would do that. And that as a church, 
you would consider what's it mean that now you have this invitation, what does it mean to take it to the nations? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, thank you that you um, are a God who has extended invitations to us. Lord, I ask that you would you would show us what this means for each of us, Lord. Would you show us what it means to really live abundant life in you? What it means to accept your forgiveness? And Father, would you show us what it means to be a people who can take that message then to the ends of the earth? We love you, Lord. Amen.